Hey everyone, welcome to the High Vibe Human Podcast Redesigned. I'm your host, Lexi Ray, a human design reader and early childhood and family specialist. I am gifted in understanding human energetics, relationship dynamics, and family dynamics. I founded High Vibe Human with the intention to share the magic of human design in practice. We are all about raising your vibrations to connect with yourself on a deeper level. When we understand ourselves and the world around us, we are better able to show up and create the life we truly desire. I am so proud of you for being here. Let's heal together. Okay, before we get started, I noticed that when I was recording this episode, it was like a lot of information coming out of me at once, so I kind of forgot to like breathe sometimes. Let's all take a really deep breath in through our nose, out through our mouth. If you are able to right now, close your eyes. If you can't, if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. So let's drop in to our bodies. Put one hand on your chest and one hand on your stomach if you're able to. Breathe in and fill your stomach with air. Once you can't fill your stomach anymore, continue to breathe in through your nose and fill your chest with air. Fill your lungs, expand your rib cage, expand your diaphragm as much as you can. And release. All right, let's try. Let's do two more. One more. Okay, I lied. We're going to do one more. (sighs) All right. I feel like I'm ready. Are you guys ready? Welcome to another episode of the High Vibe Human Podcast. I am your host, Alexi Ray, and I am so excited to have you here today. If you've been a listener since I started this podcast back in 2019, I want to give you a huge shout out. We had a two and a half year kind of hiatus where I wasn't able to make episodes. Yeah, look at my like previous two posts. If this is recent, if you're listening to this like right now, it's my previous two posts on Instagram. And I talk kind of about what I've been experiencing with neurodiversity and identifying as someone who is neurodivergent. I have been speaking with my therapist. Um, I found a therapist through BetterHelp. And honestly, if you're looking for a therapist and you just kind of like have anxiety around finding one, definitely a thousand percent look into getting better help. Um, 
Sometimes you can qualify for like a discount, but I also have a code if you guys want that. I'll put it in the show notes for a discount code for better help. But honestly, like if you don't connect with a therapist, all you have to do is go into your account and click on I want a new therapist and they'll set you up with one right away. So um, it took me two tries to find a therapist that I could kind of connect with and I really liked. Um, My first one wasn't like, somebody who I felt could hold a good space for me. Um, And the second girl that I picked was, oh my gosh, she was amazing. Um, So shout out to BetterHelp within the neurodivergent umbrella, possible ADHD or autism spectrum kind of. Everything is more of a spectrum um, in the neurodivergent community versus like you have this and you don't have this or whatever. Yeah, I just want, yeah, so let's dive into this episode. Um, First, I kind of want to like break it down and define what neurodiversity is. Then I'm going to talk about my experience like from childhood kind of all the way up until now on what made me want to bring this up and talk about this. But that's okay. Everyone's brain works differently and all of that stuff. So anyways, um, what is neurodiversity? So neurodiversity is all of the, the normal differences in the ways that our brain works. And when our brain works differently, okay, I don't like this. So neurodiversity is anyone with brain differences diverging from what is considered neurologically, quote, normal. And to that end, everyone is actually neurodiverse because everyone's brain works differently. So even if you don't fall under the category of neurodivergent, everyone experiences neurodiversity in some way because all of our brains work differently. So Judy Singer is a psychologist from the 90s. Um, She's from Australia and she kind of like coined this phrase neurodiversity. So a lot of like psychologists and people in like the scientific um, realm were thinking that this term was more of a scientific term. And she says, no, this is a political term. Some critics of the neurodiversity movement like to scoff that neurodiversity is not a scientific term. It should be clear from the above that it was never intended to be. It simply names indisputable fact about our planet that no two human minds are exactly alike. It uses it to name a paradigm for social change. Paradigm shift, then it is just slapping a scientific term or a label on something. Like embracing neurodiversity is embracing diversity in general. This is just another type of diversity that might not get touched on as much because it's not something that you can visually see with your eyes. This is more of something that's like underlying in your mannerisms, um, the way you think, the way you view the world, all of this stuff. So our society is made for the neurotypical brain. Um, And let me find a good definition for neurotypical. Okay, here is another um, definition of neurodivergent. Um, They talk about neurodiversity as well. 
Neurodivergent refers to a person who has a neurotype that falls out of the expected, quote, norm. Prior to the neurodiversity movement, autism, ADHD, and other conditions were considered disorders that needed to be treated or, quote, cured. The concept of neurodiversity suggests, however, that these conditions are simply different ways of being and that individuals with these conditions don't need to be cured or changed, but supported for exactly who they are. I really like that definition of what it means to be neurodiverse. Okay, so I kind of wanted to also touch on what it means to be neurotypical because fall under the category of a neurotypical person, um, but also identify as neurodivergent in certain areas of, of your life. Um, because neurodivergent and neurotypical is all part of this neurodiversity umbrella. So the whole point is to be inclusive of all learning styles, of all ways that our brain works, of all types of neuroactivity. So a neurotypical person is someone who is not autistic and doesn't have ADHD, dyslexia, or another neurological condition. Sensory processing disorder, Tourette's, dyslexia, trauma, PTSD, CPSD, CPTSD, anxiety, specific learning disabilities, developmental coordination disorder, developmental disabilities, uh, gifted and talented. So honestly, anything in this neurodiverse umbrella could be considered neurodiverse versus neurotypical. So because neurotypical brains make up the majority, society is set up in a way that caters to a neurotypical mind. So places like school and workplaces and like that's just like the funnel that society puts us through from like school to workplace to fucking prison if i mean that's literally how our government is set up but anyways so to neurodivergent people like offices and school um cafeterias and school classrooms can be very overwhelming and distracting overstimulating they can trigger something in the nervous system like in the brain and in the nervous system that needs some type of regulation so the need for like movement and breaks, the need for like some type of fidget toy, the need to be able to put your body in different positions rather than just like sitting in your chair or sitting on the floor or sitting at a desk um, and sitting and listening, like different ways to absorb information um, should be provided to have a neurodiverse classroom and a neurodiverse workspace and a neurodiverse home even if you're raising children at home um so since our society is set up for the neurotypical brain neurodivergent brains have a harder time moving through life and completing simple tasks that neurotypicals are set up to complete easier in our society. With a neurodivergent brain, you also have a higher chance that you'll struggle with mental health throughout your life. Um, and it can it can sometimes lead to serious mental illnesses. So having ADHD or autism and 
not getting a diagnosis can result in a lot of other mental illnesses. For example, like depression, anxiety, and OCD, uh, sensory processing, you know, issues or sensitivities related to the lack of neurodiversity within our communities and our society. So having a more neurodiverse society in general will help people with neurodivergent brains feel like they're more included and feel like they don't need to mask in order to fit in. Masking is a huge coping mechanism that people with neurodivergent brains will deal with. Another way that people mask is in culturally diverse communities. So like, for example, if you're a black girl and you go to an all-white school, you're going to mask your natural way of communication in order to fit in with your white friends at school. And that can lead to other mental illnesses as you grow older. Neurodiversity is much more than just society accepting all neurotypes of brains. It's also society accepting all types of communities and backgrounds and families and cultures and races and non-binary spectrums and everything because masking is like the culprit of all of, not all of these, but most of these mental illnesses. Like when these kids are dealing with environments that are not supporting their neurodiversity, then this is where all of the fucking mental issues stem from. The, the main reason why I'm talking about this is to spread more awareness about neurodiversity and to speak on that it's more than just about being inclusive with neurodivergent brains. It's about being inclusive with everybody. Like you can't include a ADHD kid in your lesson plan if you're also not including the Somali kid who doesn't understand like what a fucking mudroom is. Like when you walk into your house, that first little room with maybe like the shoe closet and the laundry room, that's a mudroom. Not everybody knows what that is, for example. That's just one example. And that's like a very basic generic elementary example um, is like we need to create these supportive communities and make changes in our society to support diversity period and neurodiversity is something that is so 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 overlooked because you can't see it with your eyes it shows up in behaviors and um, emotions and actions and a lot of the times kids especially kids of students of color and and boys will get dismissed and said that they have, you know, uh, behavior problems when actually, no, they're, they are struggling in your classroom or they are struggling at school or they're struggling at home because they're expected to be somebody they're not or they're expected to act in a certain way and that's not them. My background is in early childhood education. Um, I'm a full-time private nanny, and I used to teach kindergarten. So 
talking about this is like that I'm passionate about because making sure that all children feel included in their society and their communities and their classrooms um, is super, super important to me. So, yeah. Okay, I want to continue to read a little bit um, from this blog. Uh, it's called choosingtherapy.com. It's like they have a few writers and an Instagram that's pretty poppin'. But uh, this article, article doesn't have an author. That's okay. Um, I want to read a little bit more from this article uh, for your neurodivergent child. So, and okay, so whenever I'm talking about supporting your child, speaking to parents, because this is very important for parents and caregivers and teachers and everybody who works with kids to know, but I'm also um, speaking to your inner child whenever I'm talking about your child. This is, this is your inner child as any young children that are in your life. Um, so how to get help for a neurodivergent child. The very best place to start is unconditional acceptance. Just know that when your child has been through like a very long day of masking, they're going to be exhausted by the end of the day. They're going to need to come home to a place where they allowed to be who they are and so letting them like stim and be whatever they need to be and get all of this energy out that they've been trying to like be good at school this is in quotes be good at school then they need a place to come home and just be themselves and this is so important so unconditional acceptance then celebrate the child for exactly who they are not who neurotypical society might have expected them to be. So if they got in trouble at school for X, Y, Z, like just fucking let that go and celebrate for celebrate them for who they are. So if they are emotional and the reason that they keep getting in trouble at school is because they have outbursts, acknowledge that their emotional power is just so beautiful. And yeah, there's a lot of different other examples, but that's just one. Finally, be curious about discovering more about them. Work with their differences instead of against them. So this is honestly where human design comes in. Um, a lot of kids that have a neurodivergent brain just don't fit the mold for what society is trying to create in a, in a human right now. It is okay because obviously everyone's energy is different. Everyone's brain works different. But if you're able to understand your kid's human design chart, if you're able to understand your own human design chart, then you know what type of energy you're working with. Um, and this is also always just a guideline. So if if something ends up happening where you have like a huge life experience that changes you, it changes your perspective, it changes your energy, then you might not have a close attachment to like your human design chart as somebody who maybe hasn't experienced like a bigger life change and I don't know I don't know all of these things are very relative and um, it's used as a tool to help and that's why I love teaching about human design is because it is used as a tool to help with anything that you're going through and dealing with other ways to support neurodivergent people, maybe this isn't your child, maybe this is your adult self, maybe this is your sibling or your parent, um, ask questions and listen with an open mind. So 
always think back to, you know, the four agreements, speak your truth, don't make assumptions, don't take anything personally, and always try your best. So when you're sitting there listening to somebody, try your very best to make sure that you don't make those assumptions, make sure that you're not taking anything that they're saying personally, and you're just really trying your best to listen with an open mind. Know that every neurodivergent person is different. So don't compare one person's experience with another person's experience. If they both have age. Okay, that cut off. So what was I saying? So their two experiences of having ADHD is going to be completely different because they have lived completely different lives. They have completely different energies like already. Learn about neurodiversity and understand each person's strengths and challenges. So yay, learn about neurodiversity. You are learning about neurodiversity right now listening to this podcast. Um, And understand each person's strengths and challenges. So if, like I said before, if one person has ADHD and another person has ADHD, they're all, they're both going to have different strengths and different things that challenge them like think about you you have your strength that you know you're good at and then there's also these places that you that give you challenge and any of these places where you experience challenge a person that's neurodivergent is going to experience these challenges like times 10 and lastly listen to the individual in the mode of communication that works for them so everybody like i said learns different, their brain works different, especially somebody who's neurodivergent where society isn't set up for how their brain works. Make sure that you listen to whatever kind of communication that works for them. So um, this is like a personal little story for me. um, I have a hard time getting like my brain words out of my mouth properly. So I always try to write everything down first. Um, And I also use a lot of filler words like um and uh, but like so (laughs) so I kind of cut those out sometimes uh when I'm editing this podcast but I leave some of them in because you know transparency and all that stuff um so yeah listening to this individual in the mode of communication that works best for them maybe um uh this person needs to write down their their emotions and their ideas versus speaking them out and um a lot of times people who are neurodivergent, especially people with autism, will have a hard time verbalizing their emotions or verbalizing their thoughts. Um, And it just kind of all gets stuck in their head. So being patient and being open and aware of their different types of communication styles. Um, Yeah, cater to them. See, See how you can listen different and understand them better. Um, so I've kind of talked about a lot. I kind of talked a lot about different ways that neurodivergent brains struggle in society, but I also want to talk about different ways that neurodivergent brains thrive in society. Neurodivergent brains have the ability to perceive the world around them differently. Back in episode 17, I think, the first one back, I t- talked about bleh. I talked about perception bubbles um, and everyone has their own perception bubble. So somebody with a neurodiverse brain will have a different perception bubble, like a different view on the world. Our life experiences mixed with our authenticity, like our authentic energy 
is what creates our perception bubble. So anyone's brain who works differently is obviously going to have a much different perception of the world around them than somebody who is neurotypical and um, kind of moves through society differently. They are also very creative. A lot of artists, musicians, um, innovators like in the technology and science worlds are classified as neurodivergent. A lot of them have ADHD or autism. A lot of the contributions from neurodiverse individuals are because they are able to think outside of the box and their attention to detail is just wild and um, recognizing patterns. So all humans are kind of set up to recognize patterns around them and people who are neurodivergent, it's almost like a hyper-focus, like they can't not recognize these patterns. Um, And that's one thing also too that, that me personally I have identified with is just like chronically recognizing patterns around me. Um, I don't know if you're one to follow like tarot or angel numbers or anything like that, but each number will have a different message. And if you see like a triple number in a row, um, they all actually, any three numbers will add up to make a multiple of nine. And like nine is a specific... (laughs) I'm going off in a tangent right now, but nine, nine is a specific like powerful number in numerology it's like coming to an end of a cycle so anything any three numbers of the same number will always add up to a multiple of nine and um yeah that holds energy in that of itself but having a neurodivergent brain like and you start noticing um angel numbers you'll literally just notice angel numbers fucking everywhere i swear <laughs> like i see angel numbers at least 12 times a day at least and i sometimes like i don't even go out of the house and i still see a fuck ton of angel numbers <laughs> but anyways okay back on topic um Lastly, uh, neurodivergent traits have been valued in the world of technology and science, and I did mention this before, but um, uh, Albert Einstein was thought to be ADHD or autistic or some some type of uh, mixture of both, and um, yeah, he came up with a lot of think-outside-the-box type of things, so shout-out to neurodiversity. Okay, we are taking a quick break from this episode to talk about Redesigned. Redesigned is my signature program centered around human design and your unique energetics. I personally believe that human design can change the future. Like, imagine a world where we all accept ourselves for who we are, and in turn, everyone accepts each other for who they are. Getting a human design reading is great, but understanding how the energy around us works the rest of the human design system works is life-changing that's why redesigned is all about bridging the gap between readings and teachings we're going to dive deep into your personal chart but um, you're also going to learn how to navigate the charts of others in your life like your family members your partners your friends even your children this part is huge We need to make sure that the next generation of humans has what they need in order to thrive in this wildly, fastly changing world. Um, So if you're interested, go ahead, 
scroll through to the show notes and I have a whole page with more information on redesign. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so um, I briefly talked about masking before, but I want to kind of give like a more sound definition of what masking is. So masking is the suppression of one's true self by neurodivergent people. And like we talked about before, neurodiversity can also mean culturally diverse. It is known by also by camouflaging, compensating, and adaptive morphing. Another definition of masking is hiding aspects of yourself or pretending to be like someone else. Um, a lot of the times when you mask in front of people, that's just showing you that the environment you're in, you don't feel safe to be your true self or show your true self because society or that environment has showed you in the past that it's not okay to do a certain thing or say a certain thing or act a certain way. That environment has showed you that that's wrong. And if this is something that you inherently hold within yourself, like, for example, interrupting is a big one in ADHD, the ADHD community, just blurting out things that come to your mind and interrupting somebody who's already talking. This is frowned upon in society because people don't like that. <laughs> people don't like getting cut off. People don't like getting interrupted. They want to finish what they're saying. Knowing that somebody has ADHD and just not taking it personally always this always come back comes back to the four agreements not taking it personally this person has adhd they're probably trying the best that they can to hold that blurb of whatever in during the conversation but it's so fucking hard like it makes your brain itch it makes your body feel like fucking ants are crawling all over it or something like like it's the most uncomfortable feeling to hide aspects of yourself around other people. However, it's way more uncomfortable to be called out and to be like disincluded or not included in that environment or community anymore. So masking can also be considered a survival strategy for a lot of autistic people. It includes things like mimicking social behaviors of their peers because they don't inherently know how to act in so certain social situations. So mirroring or mimicking other people will give them like more sense of community with that environment. However, masking their own true selves in order to fit in is only adding to their um, mental stress. And masking your autism and ADHD throughout your whole life and then as your adult as an adult realizing that you've been masking this whole time and starting to come back to your true self it's just like it feels like you're ripping a band-aid off like it's a little painful but also like it feels so good to just show who you really are around people and and as an adult now, we're able to think about these things differently than when we were kids, like reprogramming our bodies and our brains and our nervous systems and our emotional regulatory systems, like all of these things 
we need to retrain ourselves as neurodivergent people to be ourselves and like taking a stand in our neurodiversity is so powerful. (sighs) Wow. So I began to identify as neurodivergent, specifically ADHD and autism, when my For You page on TikTok started pushing all of those videos and I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, how does my TikTok For You page know me more than I know myself? But the first time that I was called autistic, and I didn't really know what that was, um, was in second grade by like a boy in my class and he was saying it because like I wasn't understanding something that a group of kids was talking about first thing first thing is that I literally thought that he was trying to say artistic like with an r like artsy and I like he he did have like a little bit of thing with his r's so I took it as a compliment and I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah, I know I'm, I'm artistic. <laughs> this, this memory is like um, a little bit hard to describe because it's just so brief and it was more like the feeling that I had at that moment. I can't quite remember what he was said or what, what was exchanged, but I just remember feeling like a lot less of who I wanted to to be like or who I was like trying to portray myself as because he was calling me something that I didn't believe that I I was like I just might not pick up on like the social cue or social language like the rest of the kids in my class another thing in grade school like elementary school I remember having like really really hard time paying attention and I would be easily distracted by so many other visuals in the room when like there's all these visual stimulants around me I just kind of you know wander my eyes around the room and sometimes it's a good thing that there are other visual stimulants around me because then my brain won't go off into thinking about different things sometimes those visual stimulants will help me like focus on the auditory information that I need to pick up at that time But when I was in elementary school, it was kind of more of a distraction in my classroom, I think. Like, it was a way for me to escape the reality of the classroom and what was going on. I just remember, like, zoning out to a point where, like, my vision split into into two. And I remember just, like, trying to see how long I could keep two teachers in my classroom this was me disassociating during my elementary school times and disassociation is a trait of ADHD and autism everyone disassociates at some point in their lives but um it's like the reoccurrence and like how much you're disassociating that will start affecting your life um in certain ways like some of this time, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but um, when you suffer from PTSD or CPTSD, you often will disassociate those memories um, and just kind of like not really remember exactly what happened during that time in your life. So going through as a child 
going through school with a possible like neurodivergent brain in that classroom. Like we talked about before, classrooms are not set up for neurodivergent brains. They're set up for neurotypical brains based on um, our society and um, the lack of neurodiversity in our society. Fourth grade and second grade, I kind of like my my classroom dynamics, my teachers, I don't know what it was, but I don't really remember too much from those grades. And that was probably because I was either like bullied, picked on. Um, I didn't feel like I was included. I just disassociated that whole year pretty much. Um, I was put into a reading intervention group and I remember the reason why is because I was just such a slow reader that I couldn't catch up with the rest of the class on the content. So whenever, whatever we were learning about, I just like wasn't ever really caught up because I was always worried about getting the content read versus understanding and absorbing the content. Um, And this started like giving me so much anxiety in the classroom. Like during reading time, I just wouldn't I like I would shut down I have vivid memories of like being called on to read out loud I don't know if you guys ever played this game um popcorn or like popcorn reader okay so the teacher would start and they would like read as much as they wanted to and then they would say popcorn and then say somebody's name and it would be a random person's name like anyone would pick anyone so I'm sitting here like trying to read ahead and see where somebody's going to pick me, like follow along the best I can so I can start practicing in my head before I get called on. And like that would never work because every time I got called on, I wasn't ready. And I just remember my eyes starting to water like the it's like when like when you look at the sun for too long and your eyes okay don't look at the sun first of all but it's like when a bright light hits your eyes and your eyes almost start to water that's what happened um when I was reading out loud in my classroom yeah the the page the white on the page would like burn my eyes and the and the words on the page would just kind of like fall backwards and they got really small and I could like barely almost read them yeah I remember just doing the bare minimum in reading So lots of anxiety around that. Then uh, middle school came and I'm just kind of like squeaking by with all of my academics. I was never like a bad student, but I was never a straight A student. I continuously got like Bs, sometimes Cs, sometimes As. But uh, the one thing that made sense to me was numbers. Math was pretty easy. Um, I still, I wasn't like in the gifted and talented math by any means, but math did come a lot easier to me than words did. So um, that was kind of like one thing that I looked forward to in science class. I loved science class. But um, during middle school, um, I remember there being like a social aspect of like school and, and life and living that maybe I wasn't like quite ready for. I was always really, really shy. And I always kind of had like one best friend. Like, even if it was a group of friends that we would always hang out with, I would always be closer with one person in, within that friend group. And I think that's, like, kind of a lot of people. But looking back on it, it was more of, like, a hyperfixation type of relationship where I was, like, you're my favorite. I want to be your best friend. And, like, I just I just Googled this term, hyper hyperfocused dating. And this can be in friendships, too, especially, like, 
when you're younger and like dating isn't really on your mind like that, but you still kind of have this hyper fixation on your best friend or whoever in your life. Um, okay, so hyper focused dating. Typically, a person with ADHD hyper focuses on their partner in early stages of dating. They make them feel like the center of the world. When they when the hyper focus stops, the relationship changes dramatically. A non ADHD partner might take it personally. So, usually, like when I meet a new person, <laughs> I am kind of really. Um, this is definitely something that I need to start working on in the whole dating world and stuff too. Um, last episode, I talked with Vanessa Persephone about dating and, um, love addiction. And we talked about using hinge and like all of that stuff. And I feel like people with ADHD should not have dating apps. <laughs> like for real, it's, it can get quite dangerous quite quickly, especially if, you're hyper-focusing on somebody who's, like, more of a neurotypical and um, they, like, you know, kind of, like, start falling for you and you're like, wait a minute. Um, now that I know a little more about you, actually, I'm, I need to stop hyper-focusing on you and just kind of, like, focus on other things. And it's not like that you don't want to hang out with them anymore. It's just that your hyper-focus has ended, that a period of time of, like, hyper-focusing on one person has ended and it's not that you always need somebody to hyper-focus on but people with ADHD might need something to hyper-focus on and sometimes that's a person um yeah so my relationships in middle school were definitely like that um I always had a best friend or a boyfriend all throughout all throughout everything um and during high school, I got into a serious relationship with my first boyfriend, um, started taking birth control. And I feel like that kind of changed me a little bit. Um, maybe not right away. It was like a gradual kind of growing into myself on birth control. Um, and yeah, I never really met my own hormones until I came off of the pill. And I I talk about this a lot, um, so you can go back and listen in a different episode, but I truly, truly believe that hormones, like taking fake hormone pills that are not you, yeah, balancing your hormones is really important, but you don't necessarily need to take hormonal birth control for that. I was on the pill purely for contraception reasons, so I didn't have like I wasn't put on it for like cramps or acne like a lot of um, girls my age were getting put on it for. It was purely for contraception reasons. So um, yeah, I stayed on the pill all throughout college. I was with the same guy. Um, I had, it was, he was like my second long-term boyfriend and I ended up getting married to him. Um, started working a real job, quote, real job in teaching. Um, I taught kindergarten for a year. And just kind of like moving through how the school system is set up and how I was taught and how I believe that children should learn, like the whole school system is fucked up. Like it is so sad to see these kids coming into school every day and just getting like pumped full of information that doesn't matter when half the kids in the class don't know how to like take a deep breath, you know, like school shouldn't be about 
checking off these boxes of can my student take a test? Does my student know one plus one? Does my student know how to read? Like those are all important, but like that will come when they're ready. Like let's teach these kids how to be a autonomous, sovereign human. (sighs) Okay. Anyways, so school system is fucked up. I had a really rough first year teaching. Um, And looking back now, I think it was because, you know, my neurodivergence was not lining up with how the school system and the administration was wanting to teach these kids. Um, And it was just like so much stress on me to try to teach these kindergartners how to take a test online. It was, I was like, this is not what kindergarten's about. So I ended up, you know, um, nannying and I've been a full-time nanny, private nanny for the past uh, seven years now. So love that. I think the reason why I am able to connect with kids so well also is because my brain does work a little bit differently. So I'm able to see things from a different perspective rather than just like the neurotypical adult perspective. Like I think I've held on to a lot of like my childhood energy from when I was a kid that a lot of adults like forgot about maybe. And that can be something that a lot of autistic people experience, like just being more connected with their child self versus like moving into this adult self societal norm that we think we should be and um i think finding human design kind of like opened that whole part up of like this is my authentic energy and it's okay that i work a little bit differently than other people so i kind of like really dove into human design like special interest type shit where i'm just and i i'm still i'm still like this human design and, and like spirituality and quantum physics and space and like all of this stuff is definitely like my special interest um here let me get a little i'm just going to read a little blurb about what special interests are special interests are frequently developed by individuals with autism expressed as an intense focus on specific topics Neurotypical individuals also develop special interests, but they're often in the form of hobbies. So focusing on a special interest can actually bring a lot of order and like peace and sense of calm in a stressful, unpredictable world um, for people with autism. And many special interests include the element of like gathering Um, either gathering objects or gathering facts, collating and ordering them into logical collections, which are familiar, um, soothing, and it's like a type of routine. Another thing about special interests is that uh, the reason why people with autism might be drawn towards their special interests rather than like hanging out with their friends is because um, it's a non-social stimuli. So a social stimuli can be very overwhelming for people with autism because they don't understand like social cues or uh, regular social communication as much as somebody who's neurotypical. So at a younger age, like kids with autism might experience a greater like reward in their brain 
from non-social stimuli like their special interests um, rather than having social contact with their peers. Having a special interest is also a characteristic of ADHD as well. Um, It does show up a, a little bit differently. Like, I mean, it shows up differently in everyone, period. So, okay, so after um my after I got off hormonal birth control and I left my husband, I dated this guy for a while and um he struggled with bipolar disorder. Bipolar falls under the neurodivergent category. So, he was having a hard time, you know, keeping himself balanced and ended up in a manic state at the end of our relationship that um, he ended up being like physically abusive and like I know his mental health condition is not an excuse for any of this that happened but um, it's definitely like one of the reasons why he was brought into this state in the first place. Um, And yeah, he has his own PTSD shit that he deals with, obviously, because of how he was freaking acting. But um, that, those experiences, like, triggered, I still have PTSD around that whole experience. Something that can trigger your unmasking of ADHD or autism or any any neurodivergence that's kind of like just kicking it and hanging around in your brain, something traumatic can unleash or open up that gateway. Um, and you'll just start realizing like, like a lot of things, a lot of coping mechanisms that maybe used to work for you don't work for you anymore. Um, and you kind of have to like go back to your natural ways of, you know, regulating your body. So for example, stimming, um, everyone stims again, but having like those things that work best for you versus trying to fit yourself into a box from what society's expectations are like yeah so going through something very stressful will definitely trigger your unmasking um okay so kind of like right after i decided to cut things off with this guy um 2020 quarantine started And I am so grateful that I was able to move in with these two amazing women. We were all Virgos living together um, for a few months at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, I'm actually having one of them on the podcast um, shortly here. So yeah, I am really grateful that I was able to connect with them and have like a safe space for me to kind of just like be who I was. Um, And... Yeah, I think during that time, I started to, like, push away my, um, like, my PTSD, maybe, and kind of, like, ignored it. It was still pretty fresh in my my brain, and, it, like, 
I just was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to like dwell on this. I just want to move on and I don't want to like, so essentially I was spiritually bypassing. If you've ever heard of that term, um, where you don't acknowledge those things that are bothering you and eating you up inside, you just like push them down and move on. And spiritual bypassing can be dangerous in the long run because those things are going to come up like tenfold later. Um, and it did. <laughs> um, so after, you know, 2020 quarantine, TikTok blew up and I started like getting like really good stuff on my For You page, you know, like my, my For You page really knows me. And I think anyone else can relate that is on TikTok or watches TikTok. Um, I don't make that many videos, but if you want to follow me, it's, hey, it's Lexi Ray, just like my Instagram. <laughs> um, and yeah, just like having like a really good For You page that literally knows you almost better than you know yourself, I swear. Um, I was getting a lot of ADHD and autistic creators come up on my For You page, and it was, it was really validating to feel like I'm not alone going through all of these things. And I think that that is what TikTok is low-key really powerful with is making people feel like they're not alone. Like the algorithm will literally just connect anyways. Um, okay, so once all of that, you know, ADHD and autism stuff started popping up on my For You page, I became the Google researcher and... Um, I dove into anything that I could, reading like blogs and articles and all of these things about ADHD and autism, and I learned a lot. Um, it, it was a lot of YouTube too, actually, uh, but I learned a lot, and and I was like, all right, well, I probably am ADHD, like maybe a little ADHD, maybe a little autistic. Um, and then I moved to California, which was I was planning on doing before the pandemic, but everything just kind of like got postponed, which is totally fine. Um, and I, so I finally moved to California and I ended up catching COVID. So I had to stay quarantined by myself for like a week and a half. Um, and during that part, like being isolated when it's just you and like you literally aren't talking to anyone besides maybe on FaceTime, like it is um, weird. It's It gets weird, you guys. <laughs> it's very transformative. You end up like learning how to be alone. We talked a lot about neurodiversity, what neurodiversity means. Um, we talked about autism and autism awareness month. We talked about ADHD and we talked about using your authentic energetics as a way of discovering your neurodiversity because neurodiversity is in everyone. All of our brains work differently. Um, if you're neurotypical or neurodivergent, those are just terms to describe your individual neurodiversity. And everyone within the neurotypical world and the neurodivergent world experiences they think everything differently. And remember that we all live inside our own perception bubbles. Thank you for listening. It means the world to me that you're here sharing this space with me. And if you loved this episode, 
or the podcast in general. It would mean the world if you left a review and shared this with a friend. Remember, you got to know yourself before you can be yourself.